0: Well, again, I want to say good morning. Welcome to you. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. I want to encourage you now, grab your Bibles. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 33 together. I also want to encourage you, if you don't have a paper copy or an electronic copy of God's Word, right there in the pew in front of you, uh, there is a copy of God's Word. I want to encourage you to grab it. Uh, as we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 33 as we continue... Uh, to walk along our missions emphasis and the series entitled, Why We Go. We want to understand what the importance of missions in the life of a believer as well as the life of a church truly is. And this morning, as you can see, the, the message is going to be entitled, We Are Accountable. Uh, there's a movie that Diane and I enjoy watching. We don't get to watch it nearly as often anymore, and it's Twister. How many of you have ever seen the movie Twister? All right, good. So most of you have an idea of of this movie. For those of you who have no idea, it's okay. Uh, Basically, it follows this group of storm chasers, and they want to develop a system that will help detect... Tornadoes earlier, and possibly the path that that tornado is going to take, so they can design an advanced warning system. Um, There are really two scenes in that movie that stick out in my mind. The first one is uh, this lady by the name of Meg, and Meg's house and town gets just leveled by a very powerful tornado. And so, as this storm chasing team gets to her town and they are looking for her. They find her and the dog in the house and literally they're able to get her out minutes before the whole house collapses. And Meg says, this has to stop. You know, this irons only went off a few minutes before the tornado hit the house. We didn't even have time to get downstairs or to the tornado shelter. And the other uh, scene in that movie that sticks out to me is about a rival storm-chasing team. And they're trying to be the first to get their uh, scientific uh, contraption into a tornado with these sensors. And so as both teams are chasing it. The same tornado, one gets on the radio and says, hey, you need to hang back. We've got a really good view of this tornado, and if it turns, it's going to come right at you and it's going to bury you. Well, the other team decides they know more than anybody else, so they cut the radio off. And sure enough, the tornado changes directions, comes right at them, and it kills them. Why? Because they failed to heed the warning that was given to them. Now, maybe you're asking, what in the world do tornadoes have to do with us being accountable as Christians? Um, I love it when you guys ask good questions like that. So let me answer it, okay? It it has everything to do with it. For this, see, you and I, we're we're called to, to be a warning system. We are called to warn the lost, especially, about what's coming unless they repent of their sin. If they don't stop rejecting the grace of God and surrender to the gospel, there's going to be something far worse than a tornado that's going to hit their life. And it's not just going to affect their life now. The reality is it's going to affect their life for all of eternity. And so you and I need to understand our calling as Christians. The one big thing this morning, to get nothing else out of this, I want you to see this, that we are going to one day Stand before God and give an account for our life. And here's the thing. That's not just for the lost. That's for believers as well. Every person is going to stand before God. And we're going to give an account for how we spent our life. How do we see this play out? Well, let's look at it. Ezekiel chapter 33. I'm going to begin in verse 7. And I'm going to ask if you're able, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's word? Ezekiel 33, beginning in verse 7, it says, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, If thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. Would you pray with me? Father, as we begin this time of unpacking the truth of your word, Lord, let us come humbly, understanding that this is your word and without your spirit. God, not only can we not understand it, but we cannot rightly apply it. And so, Father, we are desperate to hear from you. God, I just pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. One day we will stand before God and we will give an account for our life. Now, as we look at this text here, we need to realize a couple of things. First off, we need to realize that God is our judge. God is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel here. And it is Ezekiel's responsibility. But also, God is also speaking about Israel's sin. And What was Ezekiel calling, or what was God calling Ezekiel to say? But the part I want us to key in on here, look at verse 20. It says, yet you say the way of the Lord is not equal. O ye house of Israel, I will judge you, every one after his ways. God is going, you are saying, I'm not fair. We're going to come back to that in a few moments. But God is saying, Israel, you're going to stand before me one day. You're going to get an account for your life. And you need to be prepared for that. Now, as we've already talked about, standing before God on Judgment Day is not only for unbelievers, but it's also for believers that we are going to be standing before God. However, what we are going to answer for is different. All right. So what is a believer, what is a Christian going to answer for? Well, we're not going to answer for our sins. Why? Because those were paid for by Jesus Christ at the cross. Like, that's good news. You and I don't have to pay for the sin that you and I commit because Jesus took that punishment for us. That's why there in Isaiah 53 it says, and he laid on him the iniquities or the sins of us all. So how many sins did Jesus pay for? Every single one, past, present, future. They have been cast as far as the east is from the west according to Psalm 103 verse 12. I don't know about you, but that's some good news. That that kind of excites me. Because if I have to pay for what I've done, I'm in trouble. If I have to pay for what I thought, I'm in trouble. If I had to pay for what I said, I would be in trouble. But all of that has been taken by Christ on the cross. And so you and I, if we are truly born again believers, we're not answering for our sins. But we're answering for our faithfulness to God And our obedience to God So let me just ask a question If you were to judge Your faithfulness to God And his obedience to God's word How do you feel like you're standing right now? Feel like, whew, I don't have anything to worry about, I'm good There you go, and. Man, I'd really like a little bit more time to get my house in order. Here's the thing. Allow your sin to point you and remind you of your need for Jesus Christ. Do you understand that God knew you and I weren't going to get it right? Do you understand that God knew we were going to mess up far more than we were ever going to be obedient? And and yet he still loves us and he still gives us grace. Now, we can't go, well, sin's not a big deal. Yeah, it actually kind of is. All right, sin caused the Son of God, God the Son, to come and lay down his life for it. But we are answering for our faithfulness and our obedience. Think of the closest friend you've got. God is more faithful than that person. Think about that. What what should stir up our love for God than more than reminding ourselves of how faithful God is to us. That even when I fail him, God doesn't go, man, I'm done with you. God continues to pursue us with his love and his grace. That that, that should stir up in us such a gratefulness and a love for what he has done and is doing for us. But here comes the warning. While believers will answer for their obedience and faithfulness unbelievers will answer for their works we started this series three weeks ago now and we looked at the last judgment that will take place at all times the great white throne revelation 20 and, and when it talks about being judged out of those books we come to learn that it means that we're going to be judged unbelievers will be judged for their actions for their words for their attitudes Like, have you ever had a bad attitude about something? Now you're going, well, listen, nobody knew what I was thinking God did. And God is going to call into account every, not only bad thing that we did, but the wrong words we said. Have you ever gotten mad and reacted in anger and said something that you didn't really mean, but you just kind of felt it in that moment? Or that that wrong attitude? All right, for the unbeliever, they are facing the reality of having to answer for that. And scripture says that no one is going to be saved by their work. So what does that mean? If I'm judged based on my life, I'm in trouble. Sin was my employer, death was my wage. Had it not been for Christ, I would have got paid. Think of this. I mean, if you, can you remember the wrong thing that you said last Monday? God does. This is the magnitude of the judgment that is awaiting those in church. That's got to move our hearts to love them enough to share the truth of the gospel with them. Because if we had to answer for what we did and that scares us, what about those who flat reject God? How much more should that, should that worry us for their soul? Now, some of you may be like Israel here. Israel was saying, God, you're not fair. Yet God is going, no, no, no. It's not that I'm not fair. I'm more than fair. See, God is not only fair, but really the word that is used is God is just. Now, what does it mean that God is just? It means he will do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. God's going, I'm just in two ways. Number one, I have told you how to be saved. God's not playing some cosmic hide-and-seek with you. If you want to know him and have a relationship with him, he has told us, he has revealed in his word how that can happen. But he is also just in the fact that he holds everybody to the same standard. How many of you have a younger brother or sister All right, how many of you ever said to your mom or dad, well, that's not fair, you love them more than you love me? How many of you ever said, oh, you know, you're just mom and dad's favorite? Have you ever noticed it's always the other sibling, like nobody's ever gone, hey man, I'm mom and dad's favorite and I'm good with that. We always play that that's not fair card, right? But God is going, no, 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 I don't have any favorites. I'm treating every single one of you the exact same. The standard that I hold you to, I'm holding you to. This is just, this is making sure to do what is right. You know, we we first encounter this in Genesis uh, chapter 18. The angel of the Lord is talking with Abraham, and Abraham begins to plead for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, all right, so if you can find 50 righteous people, will you not destroy the, the city? Jesus said, find 50, I won't do it. Well, wait a minute, what if you can only find 45? All right, you find me 45 righteous in Sodom, I won't destroy it. All right, wait a minute, I kind of know Sodom is kind of like Vegas. So what if you can find 30? God goes, I find 30? Fine, I won't destroy it. Wait a minute, you know, they're, they're kind of Vegas meets New Orleans, so how about 20? God goes, you find me 20, I won't destroy the city. What is Abraham's grand conclusion in this conversation? It's found in Genesis 18, verse 25. He says, shall not the judge of all the earth do what's right? Abraham said, God, if you spare the city, you are right to do it. But God, if you destroy that city, you are right to do that too. Do we we have that level of trust in God? That God's going to do maybe not what we want him to do, but he's always going to do the right thing to do? This is the the example that God is holding us to. Now, maybe you're thinking that God must enjoy sending people to hell because they rejected him, so he's getting his revenge on Look there with me in verse 11 of Ezekiel 33. Say unto them as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God's going, I don't want them to go... To die and go to hell? That's why I sent my son so they wouldn't have to. You know, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Man, God desires every person to come to repentance and faith in him. Now, God also knows that not everybody's going to. Because God's given us this thing that we refer to as the ability to choose. Free will, if you will. And God knows that sometimes we're going to choose the wrong thing. But that doesn't mean that God is going, yep, you know what, you get what you deserve, boy. You made that decision, now you got to own it. It breaks God's heart. It, it grieves him. That's why it says he has no pleasure in it. You and I may be free to make our choices, but we are not free from the consequences of those choices. And so when when the nation of Israel is going, God, that's not fair. They're thinking that because they are receiving the consequences of their decisions, and God's going, hey, I didn't choose that for you. You chose that mess. It, it's it's kind of like my children. We, you know, we always talk about, uh, the sovereignty of God, which scripture absolutely teaches, and the free will of man, which scripture also teaches. How do you reconcile those two? I, I like the way Charles Spurgeon put it, why would I try to reconcile two friends? But here's the, the way that helps me understand it a little bit. I got four beautiful, beautiful blessings from God. One of them turned six today. I don't know how that happened, but I mean, she's getting older, but I'm staying ruggedly young and good looking. That wasn't funny. Um, Anyway, so if I make them breakfast tomorrow, don't laugh, all right? If I have a nice, fresh box of Krispy Kreme hot now glazed donuts, and I set that in front of them. Some of y'all coming to my house tomorrow. Sorry, no donuts, all right? So I set a brand new hot now glazed donuts in front of them. And then right beside that, there is a healthy breakfast. Now, as their father, I know, and I tell them you can choose one and only one. As their father, I know which one they're going to choose. Now, me knowing what they're going to do is not the same as me making them do it. I want them to choose the healthy breakfast. But I know what they're going to choose. They're going to go for the donuts. Donuts. And this is the understanding of God being sovereign, God being in control of all things at all times. And allowing you and I to make decisions even that go against what He desires. Because what? God is just. God knows what's best. But sometimes God will let us choose the wrong things. Because... Obedience that is demanded isn't obedience. It's a dictatorship. I don't love my children because I have to. I love them because I get to and I want to. And this is the decision that God desires that every person would make to freely love him and submit to him. And come to this understanding that God, whatever you do, whatever you allow, it's right. I may not like it. I may not agree with it. But you know better than I do, I'm going to trust you. But we have to come to this understanding that God is our judge. You know, we talk about the word fear. Talked about it in our Bible study class. And when you hear the word fear, you, you think of a cowering fear. But that's not the fear that God desires. The fear that God is looking for is this reverential fear, this awe of Him. If we realized how big and majestic and glorious and holy God truly is my guess is we would not choose to do half the stuff we do. We need to come back to this point where not only that we understand God as our judge, but that we fear God. We have this reverence and this awe of Him that moves our heart to want to love Him and obey Him. Which leads us to the second thing. God will hold Christians accountable sharing the gospel verses 1 through 6 of this chapter are simply a picture of what God is calling Ezekiel to there in verse 7 God calls Ezekiel a watchman now what is a watchman well a watchman is somebody who stood guard they would be up on the city wall they were to remain on high alert always scanning the horizon looking for the enemy to come and if they saw the enemy coming what would they do they would warn the people. That was their sole job. Their job is not to save the people. It was to warn the people. And so God is telling Ezekiel, Ezekiel, you need to warn the people. Well, guess what? Ezekiel's, our job is to warn the people of what's coming. We can't save them. You, you and I can't save ourselves, much less anybody else. But we can tell them about what's coming. We could tell them about the goodness, the greatness, and the glory of God. We've got to warn people of the dangers of sin. Now, I know we like to be liked. But, Christian, we're going to have to be okay with not being liked by everybody when we warn them of the truth. We have got to reclaim what is truth. We have allowed an entire generation to redefine truth as they see it, as they want it, rather than on the eternal principles of what God has said is truth. See, that's that's why Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. That no man comes to the Father but by me. So guess what? You and I, we don't get to define truth. We get to reveal truth truth. Now, we may not like it. I'm going to tell you, some people are not going to like you. Get over it, okay? Stop being addicted to the praise of people, because Proverbs says that the praise of people is a snare. If I live my life based on how well you like me, some days I'm up here, and some days I'm down here, all right? I ain't got time for that, and neither do you We've got a job to do. We've got to be willing to face ridicule and persecution for standing on the truth. You know, listen to the way Isaiah said, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those. That's like, that's a heavy word. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Yet I would submit to you that is exactly where the United States of America stands today. We we have allowed truth to become relative, which means what's true for me is true for me, but it doesn't have to be true for you. Guess what? God never gave us that option. He said, here's the truth. We must align our life to the truth, not ask the truth to align itself to us. And so we got to be okay with not being light. But we also need to warn them of the coming judgment unless they repent of their sin. And again, we're not to stand back and go, you better not do that or, or, or hell's coming. No, no, no. We need to be moved by love and compassion to go and going, listen, this is sinful and God is going to deal with sin. We don't stand back. We're not anybody's judge. All right? Don't judge somebody just because they sin differently than you do. But you better warn them and you better love them enough to tell them hey, unless something changes here, this is the reality. How many of you would let your loved one stand in the middle of Interstate 81 at rush hour? I mean, it's ludicrous, right? We would go, I got to do something, okay? Well, there's a far greater train headed towards the lost than an 18-wheeler on 581. And with all due respect, dear child of God, you and I forfeit the right to say we love God and we love others when we don't share the gospel with them. Because we got the message that by God's grace can get them not only out of hell. See, that's not just the point of salvation. Salvation isn't just for forgiveness. It's a relationship with God. Do you understand that when you surrender to the gospel, you got God? You have a relationship with him and all the benefits that go with that. How much do you have to hate somebody? Not to share the only message that could save somebody. Yeah, that's exactly the reality of what we're doing when we don't share. And, and here's the thing. God tells Ezekiel in our text, as long as you warn the people, you did your job. But Ezekiel, if you don't warn them, their blood's on your hands. And Ezekiel, you're going to answer to me for. It's literally what God's telling Ezekiel. It's exactly what he's saying to you and I. Remember last week when we said that we're all preachers because we are all proclaimers or heralds of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, guess what? Not only are you a preacher, you are also a watchman. And this is a job we have to take seriously. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And you know my favorite part, right? You can take a fool to school, but you can't make him think. Your job is to present the truth to them. And then you know what? What they do with that is between them and God. You've done your part. But we haven't done all we can until we've shared the gospel with everybody. Which leads us to this question. How do you and I apply this text? Well, I would say two things. Number one, we all need to prepare to stand before God. Whether you're a Christian here this morning or you are not, you have a date with an eternal God in which you will give an account for your life. And either you will answer for your sins, which will lead to eternal judgment, or your sins will have already been dealt with at the cross. We're going to stand before God. And the only way that we can be prepared to stand before him is to have surrendered to the grace of Jesus Christ. There's nothing you and I can do to save ourselves. There's nothing you and I can add to what God has already done. So don't think I got to have faith and then I got to go over here and do A, B, C, D and all that. No, no. You're either saved by grace and grace alone or you're not. My question to you this morning is this. Have you been saved by grace? Do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there was a day that God in his spirit revealed to you that you're a sinner and because of that sin, you deserve his judgment. Yet because of his love and his grace, he sent Jesus to die in your place. And do you know of a time in which you gave all you have and all you are to all that God is? See, if you haven't done it, you're not saved. I don't care how many sermons you preached. I don't care how many Bible studies you led. I don't care how many church services you attend. I don't care if you got in the baptistry. I don't care if you got your name on the church roll. Is your name in the book of life? And the only way it's there is if you have surrendered the grace of Jesus Christ maybe that's why you're here this morning maybe God's trying to tell you you know what man you've been playing church and it's easy in America isn't it I mean we don't even need our bulletins anymore we know what's coming it's easy to to call yourself a Christian in America because it's not costing anything It's easy to call ourselves a Christian in America because, well, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not an atheist, I'm I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a whatever, so I must be Christian. No, that's not the case. Jesus said that we got to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. So I'm asking, are you following them? If not, that's why you're here. And I pray that you won't let this moment pass. See, there at the very end of verse 11, God's basically going, why in the world would anybody choose to go to hell when I made a way for you to have me and have a relationship with me? But in order for the lost to have a chance at being saved, Christians have to do, number two, we must proclaim the gospel. You heard me drop this last week. The reality is that only 2% of Christians have shared the gospel in the last 30 days with somebody. Church, we got a problem. When there are 2 billion people in the world who have never heard, when there are 75% of North Americans that don't have a relationship with Jesus, 2% of Christians sharing the gospel is not going to do the job. we be, We got to get busy doing what God has called us to do. You know what we have no problem talking about the weather which is crazy we, we have no problem talking about our political affiliations we have no problem talking about our favorite sports teams we have no problem talking about our favorite restaurants so why is it then the greatest blessing that's ever happened to you supposedly do you have a tough time talking about because i'm not mad my heart's breaking Because I know that there are men and women in my family that if today's their last day, guess what? Hell is a reality for them. And so do you. Did you bring their name? If you remember, you were here last week, I laid out a challenge that you would bring that, the name of a lost person in your family before the altar of God every single day pleading for them. Did you? You're not answering to me. You're not answering to me. We have to tell people that being a good person won't get you in heaven. That. that doing good works won't get you there. We got to tell people this. You haven't sinned so badly that the grace of God cannot save you completely. Romans 5 and, and verse 21, one of my favorite verses. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Like that's good news. Because how many of you have ever felt like you have let God down? Guess what? You cannot sin so badly that the grace of God cannot save you. That's some good news. That ought to get us excited. But, here's the flip side of that coin. There's no one here that's so good that they don't need the grace of Jesus Christ. See, most of y'all heard my story. I've got a, a dark, terrible story of bad choice after bad choice after bad choice it became obvious the grace of Jesus Christ needed to save me, okay? Now, my wife, she's little Miss Goody Two-Shoes. She's a people pleaser through and through. And here is the great news. The same gospel that saved a wretch like me, saved a wretch like her too. She needed Jesus as much as I did. That's the message we got to tell people. You know, and a lot of times, people go, well, how? Share your testimony. What has God done in your life? Share the Romans road. Share uh way of the master, evangelism explosion, Way of, uh way of the master, more than a carpenter. I mean, we can go on and on and on about all the ways that people have created to share the gospel. I don't care which way you do it, just do it. Make the main thing the main thing. it's a sin not to church you know James chapter 4 verse 17 man it's a haunting verse says to him who knows to do good and does it not to him it is sin when you and I know what we're supposed to do and we choose not to we gotta be honest guys we're living in sin and so maybe here in just a moment we're gonna sing another song maybe that's what we just need to to confess this morning God I know what I should have been doing but I haven't been doing it I'm not going to offer any excuses. I'm just going to throw myself on your mercy and on your grace. Or maybe your decision is you've never surrendered to the grace of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you. Make today that day. Have a birthday. A much more important than a physical birthday, a spiritual birthday. You haven't sinned and you haven't messed up so bad that the grace of God cannot find you and cannot save you. But you got to stop running. You got to start surrendering. Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together, fathers? We come to to this next part of the service, Lord. You know my heart. You know I believe that this is the most important part. Oh, I love singing and praising you. I I enjoy being able to be used by you to pour out your word but the reality is that it's all in vain, it's all pointless if we don't respond to what we've heard Lord I I don't know where every person is in this room with you right now my prayer is that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are a blood bought born again child of God Lord, if they're not, I just pray that your spirit would be revealing it to them. Not in a manner of of condemnation or judgment, but rather because of your love and your grace, that they could respond to you. That they could lay down their sin and that they could be saved by you. Because there's no other way we can be saved. There's nothing about me that warrants your love. We've heard so many times the scandal of the cross is not that, God, you would allow people to go to hell. The true scandal of the cross is that you would save any of us to begin with. And yet, God, we have the promise of your word that whosoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, God, we're saved. So I pray for those who have never trusted you. God, I pray that this morning they would. But we know that this invitation isn't just for the lost. It's for those who know beyond the shadow of a doubt, we are your children. We praise you for that gift. But Father, we still sin. And if you've pointed something out in our life, God, I pray that we would just bring it to this altar. That we would not only confess it, but God, that we would seek your help to turn from it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to pray about anything, if you need to give your life to Christ, the altar is going to be open. You can pray here. I'm more than happy to pray with you. Let's just respond to God as we worship.